Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Amen. Uh, Let me start today's sermon with a question. Do you have any investments Are you invested in any stocks? Tesla, Apple, Google, or, or if not tech stocks, okay, you guys know that my examples are very simple, the more generic terms that I could think of. Um, how about Target, uh, Costco, or your favorite uh, retail stores, Walmart? Um, what does your portfolio look like today? Some of you guys are stressing already. I'm not asking you to answer me. It's just, just, um, I'm just trying to make the connection here. And how are you doing in your investments right now? Very curious. Um, a few months ago, I dabbled into making a very small investment, okay, a very small investment in cryptocurrency. Um, as one of my closest friends, one of my best friends, um, he, uh, he, he worked in iBanking for, for years, and uh, at the tail end of his work, uh, working for these large uh, firms, he had worked in cryptocurrency division, and about two years ago, he started out his own company. And during the past two years, he's letting me know that, hey, man, this is the future, Scott. Uh, you want to start now, because now is the time. He's like, hey, he started, like, the, it's one of those things, the more he talked, the less I understood. But because I love him, because I trust him as a brother, and, and I decided, and after conferring briefly with my wife, and I actually did convince her, uh, we were freaking out. We were, like, uh, so awkward, not talking, like, many days at a time. I was like, hey, are you sure? Are we sure we want to do this? I'm sure some of you guys who are married, you may have similar conversations in your own homes as well. Well, again, I emphasize very little, very small portion. So we decide you know what, we're going to plunge in and uh, we're going to make a small investment. So I'm completely new to this, but I'm trusting my friend and his experience and his expertise. And, um, and a few months uh, later, uh, I made a little money. And I emphasize again, very little uh, here. Uh, I think um, the crypto market is definitely more volatile and unproven. Have you guys know what I'm talking about? Are you guys investing in cryptocurrency? Some of you guys are... So maybe you guys are like, I ain't telling you, Scott. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm just asking, okay? Um, um, I, I think it's definitely more volatile and unproven than those for stocks or commodities. So I understand that this gain, this small gain that I have today could be wiped out tomorrow <laughs> or even later today for that matter. Um, I think I've overheard even some of you guys talking casually, church members uh, mentioning some investments in cryptocurrency as well. Uh, perhaps you are a, a camp a Dogecoin, right? Uh, Dogecoin to the moon. Yay. That's nervous laughter here. Um, I think what you can't deny is how emotionally you get tied as you become to the, uh, tied you become to the investments that you have made, whether it be stocks, 
whether it be other investments. Maybe you have uh, 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 allocated your private funds to a good friend who is starting a new business. Maybe you have allocated some funds to a family member who is uh, venturing out to new business opportunity. But when you have made some investments, you cannot deny there's an emotional tie to the investment that you have made. And, and, and you can't... And, and you become more deeply immersed in its progress from, um, than you may have anticipated before. So here are my short findings as a, as a newbie, as, a, as someone who is completely new to this game. I think your moods are often dictated by it when you see the progress, all right? And, and your confidence heading into the future is very well tied to your, how well your investment portfolio is doing. Also, I realize that your current spendings may be altered by how well your investments are doing. Sometimes when you see the greens, when you see the investment portfolio is growing, you feel like you come up, you know what, guys? We're eating out tonight. Fan, we're going for combo nine, not combo 10. Sometimes, like, you know, when we're like, tight on cash, we resort to the earlier combos at McDonald's, right? But today, hey, man, YOLO. We're doing well. We're eating we're eating large today. So, you, so I realize your moods can change, your outlook on the future can change, also your current uh, spending habits are also affected by that as well. And I've noticed that this has really revealed all of our hearts. Honestly, you know, we're so prone to seeking, we're so prone to, we, we can't escape the reality of wanting to accumulate wealth for ourselves. And we become so immersed in it, and it's so easy to lose sight of more important things in life. More importantly, you become so preoccupied with how your investment portfolio may be doing, and what began as managing your assets or being prudent with our own possessions and money ends up easily possessing you in return. Now, I think I shared this sentiment before in the past where when I say we are prone to becoming materialistic, you understand that becoming materialistic is not just for the wealthy. Materialistic, uh, being materialistic is, is not the possession of wealth. It's the preoccupation of wealth. I mean, how many of you guys know that you can become preoccupied with wealth, wealth or accumulating wealth you don't necessarily have to be a rich person. It's quite the opposite. Oftentimes, it's those that struggle in, in, in having a, a wealth. We become so immersed in it. We become so preoccupied in that we are, you are no, mater, no less materialistic than those that have a lot of wealth. Are you guys, are you guys getting me here? So... You know, and we begin to place this disproportionate amount of trust in something as it becomes a source of our confidence and security. You know, you know, I get it. I'm not going to be naive here, okay? It's because our lives are inseparable from the affairs of money. I'm going to say it. That's the reality. Our lives are deeply tied to uh, this, the, the affairs of money. Um, I could even say our lives are run by making and spending money. We spend much time talking about this, right? It happens quite naturally. Most, most of us work. I think about 90% of our congregation, we have full-time jobs. We have part-time jobs. Most of us work. 
And we work for wages through various jobs. And we are immersed in this life of work. As we are immersed in the life of work, we are also immersed in the reality of money and wealth. I think many of us, or some of us, we, we, we daydream, right? We, we get through the long week. When our weeks are long, what do we dream of? What do we daydream? We daydream what? Vacation or extended time off. And some of us, some of you guys are very daring, right? We don't stop at having extended vacation and going away. We think of, we think of early retirement. Yeah, how many of you guys want early retirement? You know, I didn't really fear. I didn't really think this was a reality for me and my wife. And, but recently, I, I think when she hit 40, she kept talking about like this nonsense. Honey, it would be great if I worked part-time. It would be great if I didn't work. Duh, it would be great if we didn't have to work at all. So, like, sometimes when we get tired, we get, we're kind of caught up in the idea that, wow, it would be great if something allows us the financial freedom for us to be flexible, for us to rest a little longer, for us to work a little less. Come on, somebody. Right? And all of this is tied with having money the reality of money. And because money is so tightly knitted and integrated into our lives, there are also dangers that come from our attitude towards money. And so if we're not very careful, we could end up very in, a, in a very bad shape. We could end up far worse than when we started out, envisioning, wanting to, to be well off financially. And I think Jesus here certainly recognized this truth in the passage has just conveyed to us. And yes, and his teaching was laden with the truths about money. You guys should know by now that more than 2,000 accounts all throughout the Bible, more than 30% of Jesus' teaching is actually tied to earthly possessions and the concept of money. And in our text today in Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, and this is actually a part of Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And he's, uh, and he's releasing truths about uh, possessions, money, and what our attitudes should be towards them. First of all, first of all, Jesus speaks of the temporality of earthly possessions. And the first thing that he reveals the truth about money, he says, understand Understand, he doesn't, he doesn't bash money. He, he never actually criticizes money. He talks about, Bible is actually never against dispossessions of money. It always conveys a proper possession of money. So understand that. Oh, God hates money. God, no, no, no. God hates the love of money. God is not against money. Right? And Jesus is here teaching, and he speaks about the temporality of earthly possessions. And here, I think he's talking about like grains, you know, like livestock, all these things. But he's talking about money. He says, understand all these material things on earth, things that you work for, things that we work so hard to accumulate, things that as we accumulate that we feel good about our future and our lives. He says, understand that everything that you collect, everything that you do, do, do uh, uh, amass is as a shelf life. talks about the temporality of earthly possessions. And he says, this is why 
Don't be fixated upon storing up your treasures here on earth. He says, be better than that. Have your sight set on something far longer, far more eternal than these earthly possessions. And as if this isn't serious or urgent enough, Jesus then accentuates this point by saying, you cannot serve two masters. So he talks about the temporality of earthly possessions, and he says, he kind of jumps, kind of jumps the topic, he says, you know what, you cannot serve two masters. The word master in the Greek language that's used here is the word kurios, kurios. It's the same word that we get the uh, tra- English translation of the word Lord. You know, when Jesus is referred himself as what? Lord, master, that's the same word that is used here. So when he's talking about you cannot serve two masters, he's elevating the power and the potential impact of money or possessions in the same status as the position that he himself holds in our lives. And he says, this is fact, y'all. He's not suggesting. He's not, hey, it could, it could be a master for you. He says, you know what? This is fact. You cannot serve two masters. Notice he does not say, you shouldn't serve two masters. He doesn't say that, hey, talk. He says, this is fact. It's one or the other. Are you with me here? So, When we understand the importance of the word master here, understand that it has the power and the authority to control you. Simple as that. Why does does Jesus use the word master in this say? Why does he use the, the, so meaning you cannot be lord, uh, you cannot be lorded by your possessions. Why does he do that? He's conveying the fact that Either as just as, much, as just as much that I have the power and the authority to control and, and lead and head over you. He says, now, money, your love of money, possessions have the same power as I may have in your life. It will rule over you. It will dictate the desires of your hearts. It will alter the course of your future dreams. In the same way that when you make me the Lord of your life, money has the same power, it may have the same effect. And he says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And I want you to understand that. You cannot serve God and wealth. So I think what we have to understand before we move on further is that I think it's important that we do not all of a sudden think that I may be the first one who can do this. I'm going to tell you, sometimes we feel this way. Sometimes like we care less about statistics. We have this like, I'm going to be the first one. And I thought that when I was in seventh grade, when I first learned the game of basketball, I thought I'm going to be the first Asian to play in the NBA. I had no doubt. I had no doubt. Sometimes we get enamored by this, like, we got to dream big. we gotta, we got we to gotta go for it. I think Jesus is cautioning us. He's warning us. You cannot serve two masters. 
you either heed the voice of Lord Jesus and his principles and convictions conveyed to you, or the operative principles of money and earthly possessions. And when I read this passage, and these are the questions that I have, is what Jesus is saying really true? Is it really that serious? Is Jesus' indictment of the people in his time, was that really true? Let's explore that topic or this topic a little bit. Why do we care so much about money? Why do we think so much about money in our lives? Or, to be more frank, why do we love money so much? Perhaps that sounds a bit harsh because no one wants to be called out, oh, you love money. That, that sounds offensive even to a, a casual Christian here. Uh, why, or, or why do we want money so much? And I think it's because there is an inherent anxiety about life. And most of, our, most of our anxieties in life, if we could be, again, quite frank, a lot of our anxieties in life can be resolved by the medium of money. Are you with me? I hope that's not, a ludic- that, that's not too outlandish, right? So that's true. It's because most of our life's anxiety is tied to money. You know, or we, we say things like, we've got bills to pay. Everything costs money. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of our kids, etc., etc. All of these fall under the umbrella of taking care of ourselves. Again, we want more money because we need more money to live. And I think that's just an honest assessment here. For me, as I reflect upon this passage, as I pay closer attention to Jesus' admonition in this passage, I think it all boils down to trust. In the end, we could simplify this text or the lesson of this text says, what do you trust more? You know, in the, in the passage that we have, have read, the very next portion in this text is about not worrying. Let me read for you verses 25 to 27. And you'll have that up on the screen. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? In the end, it comes down to what do you trust more? Is your trust in your bank account or is your trust in the hands and the provision of God? As banal as that statement or question sounds, it's an important question which you and I must understand to answer and answer honestly. Because there's no single subject that reveals the state of our faith more than the topic of money. In the end, what do you trust more? 
Let me now, let me make this concrete for you, okay? I'm going to propose to you two options, and you will have to choose one. Option one is $5 million. Don't be disappointed. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Scott. This is hypothetical. Make it 50. Then we'll talk. No, I'm going to stick to five. Okay, $5 million. On the other hand is the greatest ability to trust and love God. Maybe this is too easy for you guys. I'll take choice number one all day, every day, twice on Sunday. First option, $5 million. Second is greatest ability to love and trust God. What would you rather have? All right, I'm feeling good. I'm going to make the first option $50 million. It's funny because when I was writing my sermon this week, it actually started from 100000 <laughs> I kept being convinced out of that amount. I was like, that's not going to do anything for our congregation. <laughs> Some of you guys make that in, like a, in a month. I don't know. So I kept going up. It went to 100 500 You know what? This is a hypothetical. I'm going to be very generous. I bumped it up to five. Guess what? I'm making that 50. Which would you rather choose? $50 million right now, given right now, deposited into your vent or account. Did I said Venmo. God's gonna Venmo you right now. Versus unlimited ability to trust and love God. Have I at least made it hard for you? Isn't it difficult? Isn't it difficult to choose? You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, God, if I chose the first one, I don't know if I have many to worry about, to trust you that all that much. <laughs> no, literally, that, that's the reasoning that we make. Because a lot of the life stresses is deeply tied with the reality of money. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters. In the end, what provides you the sense of security? What provides you the sense of confidence? Is about the Lord directing your every step and making provisions and making your, uh, uh, for your endeavors. Or do we put it upon ourselves that given the choice that I think I would feel much better if I had more hands on it? Money serves the similar function as God to many people. I think here are the similarities. We get our sense of security. We get the sense of control meaning dictating how we live our lives. Also, thirdly, where does our sense of pleasure come from? So both of these choices are very, very appealing to us because most of our life's pleasures come, can come from our relationship with God. The sense of control, our ability to trust, the future, the uncertainties. You see, money has very similar uh, properties 
as, as God. I think for that reason, Jesus says, you cannot have two masters. Let's consider for a little bit the parable of the rich fool mentioned in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and on. And I'm just going to read you a very uh, short snippet here. Building big barns and storing up surplus grain, take life, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus, through and through, wants all of us to play a different game. Certainly, we are to be good stewards of what God has given to us. But being wealthy or being poor, each has its downsides, right? Instead, I think what Jesus is conveying to us is that be more focused, be more invested, be more concerned about your spiritual wealth rather than financial. You know, how we use our money shows where we are spiritually, according to Matthew chapter 6, 24. Um, and and all, all that to say, Jesus uh, encourages us, commands us to be rich towards God, whether we are rich in money or not. You know, again, it, it comes down to, like, trust. And, and as someone who is, has just been introduced to this idea of, like, planning for the future, maybe you guys are already well-versed. Maybe some of you guys work in this industry. This is what you do uh, for your profession. But I think as all of us, as followers of Christ, as, as people committed to uh, loving God and obeying God during the course of all of our lives, I think we have to understand that I trust must not come from anything other than the Word of God and the ways of God and the provision of God. And I, I think that's, that, that admonition, whether you have a lot of money, wh whether you have a little money, I think that's one principle that we have to absolutely abide by. Amen? And, um, and when we do that, when we are able to say that our trust is firmly entrenched in the ways of God, that no matter what our outcome is, no matter how we are doing financially, materially, I know that we will always have peace. We will not live in fear or worry. And I, I, and I, I, I confess to you that it's so easy for our emotions to be swayed. It's so easy for our spending habits to be swayed by how our investments are doing. But that's certainly, I don't think that's the way God wants us to live. God wants us to live in the complete liberty as we know that our Heavenly Father is not short of any means. That Heavenly Father, what He's able to do in and through our lives, reaches far beyond what our bank accounts can provide for us. And He wants us to discover what that joy is. He wants us to experience supernatural provision, miracles I'm talking about, where there was no way because of God's involvement in his provision, all of a sudden there is a way. I think that's the point of what God wants us to understand. 
I learned the phrase, you know, just being casual, just being more attentive, people's talking, you know, investments. There's a term that I, I, I came across. It's H-O-D-L. What is that? In, in the world of investments, you know, uh, it's a phrase, hold on to, uh, with dear life. I think it has the concept of, hey, no matter how well the stock is doing, hold on to it with a dear life. And I would love it. I would love it if more of us, we would have the same approach and attitude where we cling to God. No matter what, we're not going to let go. No matter what, God, we're going to cling to you. Does that make sense, guys? Right? Hold on to Jesus with their dear life. Like everything depended on him. Hold on to him and experience him loving you and leading you so graciously. And before we close today's talk, may I suggest a possible remedy to our struggle with money? May I provide a couple options which you can um, kind of subscribe to? Uh, how we can be less obsessed by it? First of all, I want to suggest see money, begin to view money as a resource, not as a goal. Learn to view money as a resource, sit beyond just possession. Okay, let me explain. Understand that it's always a means to something, not an end in itself. Something that I would want you to understand. Begin to view money as a resource. Second, see money as a resource to serve God's purposes, not your own. First of all, see money as a resource, not an end in itself. Second, See it as a resource to do God's work, to serve God's purposes, rather than your own. Meaning you're always going to be interested in what God may be wanting to do in and through your life. Consider it for the expansion of the kingdom. Ask yourselves, be motivated and be driven by, rather than just accumulating, piling out all these treasures on earth. Be as equally interested in what is God doing and what can I do? How can I use what God has blessed me with so that I can do more of His work? And that sounds so corny, does it not? That sounds so cheesy. That stuff that, that, that's kind of the stuff that we've heard growing up from our parents. Study hard. Serve God. It's like A to Z, like they made that, they expedited the transitive property. If you study hard, you're going to serve God. <laughs> Make money, serve God. But I think somewhere along the line, we forgot why, even, why we even achieve success in the academics or even in the vocational fields. Understand, guys, it's to serve God. We want to be more involved in doing God's work. You know, um, if I could have the priest team to come on up, um, they're going to lead us in, in a time of worship very soon. I'll close this one more story. So, you know, for the past month and a half, we've been following what's been happening in Afghanistan. And my wife and I, we have contacts. And while 99% of the contacts that we have 
are still there. They're stuck. And in spite of them calling us, we, we had like 11 missed calls this morning because one of the girls that live in our old city, they, she wants to know if there's a way that we can get her out. And we tell them there isn't. There's nothing we can do. But there is one guy that is now in Korea. He and his wife, by the grace of God, they, they were able to be in Korea. Since they became, this became news to us, and my wife and I, we have been praying, we've been seeking. Maybe this is the poetic ending of our time being rapidly cut short back in 2007. And perhaps we can't save everybody. We can't go back to the country and rescue the people that have been left behind. But we're thinking perhaps this family, this one guy who's now 26 years old, I said, honey, maybe we can do something. Maybe we could provide for them. Maybe we can even bring them to the States. I don't know. We just began to brainstorm. And immediately, guys, immediately, the reality of life kept stopping our conversation. We have no money. We don't have power. We don't, we don't, it, it just became about like all the things that we're not. It just became about all the things that we don't have. But it was strange. But the desires were growing. We kept saying how, how bad we want to go see him. We kept talking about how his pregnant wife, just two months away from giving birth to their first child, they have no family. No family. This boy or this man, Rulo, he left his mom behind. Knowing that he and his wife were the only ones granted this visit or trip to Korea, he said goodbye to family in the home city. And they literally risked their lives to make their seven-hour car ride from their city to Kabul. Waited all day at the airport with a, sound, with a small sign, handwritten sign that says Korea. And it was waved in because they had the proper documentation. Now they're going to live in Korea. My wife and I, it's a little crazy. But I think I feel like God is telling us to bring them to the States. Be near them. He was saying, you know, he was just nine years old when I met him and 11 when I left. He says, Coco, he says, Uncle, Uncle, you're going to be a Bobo soon, which means grandpa. And I don't know. I just keep telling Esther, I feel Honey, I feel like we're, we are meant to be in their lives forever. And we keep dreaming. And I, I'm preparing, looking for ways. I was like ready to buy the plane ticket. I was ready to contact my friends who have business in Korea. I was like, to bypass the 14-day quarantine. I'm like, doing whatever I can. I'm like, honey, we're going to make them live here. We will fork out whatever money we have. We're going to make ways. And then they said, for two months, no one can visit them. This is crazy. That's another whole crazy by the government. But I feel like, I told my wife, honey, let's not let money get in the way of 
what we sense that He may be calling us to do. And that's my encouragement and challenge for all of you this morning or today. Don't let money get in the way of what He can only do. There are many impossible tasks in your life, but there are also many exciting tasks in life. How many of us are walking away from them? How many of us are already giving up before even starting because, oh, there's no way? God is saying, you haven't even asked. You don't even know what I'm about to do in and through your life. He's saying, come at me. Come, seek me. I got the answers. Maybe some of you guys, as we close this message portion, maybe some of you guys have similar dreams. Maybe God has inspired a vision for your life early on. Maybe it's building an orphanage. Maybe it's building a non, uh, founding a nonprofit, helping the poor, helping the needy. And somewhere along the line, you stop yourself from dreaming because you do not have the means. And I pray today that God would activate, reclaim those dreams and callings in your life. And for you and I to become a people, kingdom-driven people, that we do not live by what our possessions dictate that we should live. We do not live. Impossible. There's no such thing as impossible in the eyes of God. He says, I am possible. And I want all of you guys to experience the freedom and the release. And some of you guys, I straight up see you guys have been chained with this burden of financial security and freedom. Be released of that today. Amen. Friends, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, we just lift up this time onto you, Lord. God, we surrender our insecurities, Lord. God, we surrender our...